welcome to another episode of Rich Daniels Death Square Theatre Podcast. I'm on tour at the moment with Ofrigan 50. Please come and see me this week. I am in Henley on the 19th, Great Torrington on the 20th. I don't even know where that is, and nobody is coming. Extra on the 21st, and then my rescheduled gig in Dartmouth on the 22nd. There's a London gig coming up on May the 4th. Do check that out. And hey, why not become uh, a uh, bulbster? You can change your energy over to a renewable energy company called Bulb. They'll probably be cheaper than your current supplier. They're really nice. The customer service is really good. There's no contract you can leave at any time. Time. Plus, you'll get £50 and I'll get £50 if you use this code, bulb.co.uk slash refer slash Richard234. I mean, come on, that would be lovely, wouldn't it? We get all that free gas and electricity. You know, my, in my house, my boiler's trying to kill me. So the more gas we put through that, the more likely I am to die. Uh, if I have died between recording this and the filming, you know, still change over for the sake. Well, actually, my whole family will have died if I've died, so... We'll give it to Chris Evans if we're all dead. Uh, anyway, let's sit back and enjoy a very special Richard Hanks Let's Square Theatre podcast Tony fucking Brian Blessed. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm just wondering if he's going to be here at the time we'll see. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Let's Square Theatre. Please welcome man. He's a little boy and all of his dreams have finally come true. He's <laughs> Richard Herring. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, it's Richard Haynes, that's Square Theatre Podcast. Uh, but I was talking uh, to the porn actor Jean Valjean uh, <laughs> last week. Uh, he looks very much like uh, Pia Bainham, last week's guest. <laughs> I sent a picture of, I, t- I talked about this last week with Peter Bainham, and I sent a picture of Jean Valjean to Peter Bainham. He went, Oh my God, that's very complimentary. There's just something in the, there's just something in the cheeky look he, he gives when he's about to bum a woman. It reminds me of. <laughs> anyway, he calls it the Lestepe. Uh, so, because um, he's French. He isn't the real Jean Valjean. It's not his real name. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> Uh, I'm going to do a very quick bit of uh, stand-up just before the show because I think it's going to take a little time but also my guest wasn't in the wings when I uh, started so I'm just going to give them some time to get here. Oh, I should say to everyone here in the room, uh, Maria Bamford's going to be the guest uh, next week so please do buy tickets for that, it's going to be awesome. Um, uh, I, the, the stuff that's happened this week, I was, I, was, I was lying in bed after last week's podcast and my wife does the morning after, uh, usually with the kids, and I heard my daughter saying to my wife, Daddy eats wee-wee and poo-poo. That's what... <laughs> can't believe she would say that. I told her that in confidence. That is... That is... <laughs> Very upsetting. Uh, and she's really got into doing, saying wee wee poo poo, which is great because I spent like eight years of my life the, between the ages of 28 and 36. <laughs> and all I said was wee wee poo poo bottom the whole time. So I'm just, I'm really proud. My wife thinks I'm encouraging my daughter, but I'm not. I'm going, oh, don't do that. It's very naughty. And then we laugh together. Uh, well, you know, I'm telling her off. Uh, but uh, uh, this week is being recorded just after uh, International uh, Women's Day, uh, which went quite well. Um, uh, for me, uh, as you know, I do uh, track men down on the internet uh, and uh, I won't go into in great detail, but I've, I, I don't remember much about it. It's a very wearing day for me, day for me where I'm just telling uh, men that there is an International Men's Day and it's November the 19th. My favourite one of the day was, though, uh, some American gentleman uh, typed, when's International Men's Day? And I don't mean in a homo type of way. <laughs> and I replied, November the 19th, 
don't alienate the gays or you'll never get your dick sucked. Uh, so that is my, um, <laughs> that was my favorite of the day. So, um, any sign? Okay. <laughs> is he, uh, are they aware they've got to come on? Do you want to just, I see. <laughs> He's aware that we'll be talking out here. Hey, right. So my guest this week... <laughs> he's having a great chat in the dressing room. I think he's on his own. Uh, he's probably... He's probably best known as Brod in Survivors. That was a great show. Will you please welcome... It's Brian Blessed, ladies and gentlemen. 180 episodes. you can sit here if you can put I'm not sure you'll need a microphone but we've got one anyway just for the people at home what the fuck are you all doing here <laughs> is this am I on yes I think so hello can you hear me I've only got one thing to say to you Gordon's alive <laughs> and if well, only, I if only that were the case <laughs> Fucking amazed you're all here. Yeah. What the fuck are you all doing here? Well, I'm marvelous to be here. You can speak now. They've come to see you, Brian. I've been, I've been trying to get you on this podcast for a very long time. It's been very difficult to get you. I've had Hollywood superstars. I've had all sorts of people on here, but Brian Blessed is the one everyone wants. I can stop doing the podcast after this well, one. In actual fact, I, I have to say, ladies and gentlemen, I am huge in Tenerife. <laughs> I fucking... Well, when I first went to Everest, it's my daughter out there. <laughs> yes, she's my... <laughs> oh. oh. It's so difficult to lie when you know your daughter's out there. <laughs> I, I hate admitting I'm gay. Anyway, look, look, look. I'm, I'll shag anything that moves. Anyway, look. I have never fucking won anything except years ago in Tenerife. The BBC phoned me up and said, because I'd been up, climbed Everest, and followed Mallory's route up Everest, dressed like this. Anyway, <laughs> the film came out called Galahad of Everest in 1990. And the BBC phoned up and said, Brian, you've won Best Actor at the Tenerife Film Festival. <laughs> I said, what for? They said, for Galahad of Everest. I said, but I don't act in it. <laughs> <laughs> I climb a fucking mountain. <laughs> anyway, I went along to Tenerife, and, and there was uh, uh, there was Kevin over here, my Robin Hood, Kevin. Kevin Costner. Yeah, very good. And, uh, <laughs> not as dumb as he looks. <laughs> so there was Kevin Costner here, and Daniel J. Lewis for Dancing with Wolves, and I was in the middle. I accepted it, and it was, they gave it to me. I said, thank you very much, it's my best performance ever. I mean, how the fuck could I lose Seven Stone, which I do in the film by acting, I fucking, anyway. <laughs> I, I accepted the award, and so, and it was uh, a, a big bone on a piece of rock. And I took it home, and my fucking Jack Russell ate it. <laughs> 
Uh, please, please, please. Ask me any question you like. Go on, All right. Well, I have a... I have one question I ask a lot oh, of guests. What's that? Uh, and uh, I think if this question might may finally be about to pay off. <laughs> have you ever seen a Bigfoot, Brian Blessed? Well, I, 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 I can answer that question. <laughs> yes. I, no. I'll be very serious now, because I, I can see with this audience I can be wonderfully serious <laughs> and full of gravitas. What was the question? Have you ever <laughs> seen a Bigfoot? Or a Yeti, or a Bigfoot, or a Yeti? No, look, ladies and gentlemen... Uh, a third of Canada has only been surveyed by helicopter. A, a lot of the lost world in South America is completely unknown. So in Canada, it's Bigfoot Sasquatch, and then you move across from Canada into Asia, and it's the Almus Giant. The Russians have records of the Almus Giant, seven, eight, nine feet tall. You move across Asia, it becomes the Metoma, and it becomes the Yeti, and then you move down to Sumatra, and it's Orang Pendek upright man and there is a BBC camera crew down there at this moment they've been there for 10 years taking photographs because they are besotted with it but you see I don't need that in the fact that I look in the mirror I, say, I fucking adore the way I look I mean People like Branner and Anthony Scher and Derek Jacoby and, 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 and McKellen and all of them, they're shite compared to me. I, I, I fucking look. I have never met a man with such sexual drive when I look in the mirror of such fucking amazing talent. I'm fucking unrivaled. So I, I look in the mirror and I thought, that is a fucking lovely Yeti. I love my face. I love it that I look like a gorilla. And so, now, to, hold on a minute. To answer your question, <laughs> I have, it's in my book, but over the years I've worked with gorillas. And they love me. Uh, and I wrestled a gorilla in Canterbury many, many years ago. <laughs> many, many, but bear with me, I'll be with you in a second. Sorry, <laughs> A few years ago in Canterbury, I wrestled Gurgis. He was six foot three, a big, lovely gorilla. I used to wrestle him. I was very glad in the last King Kong film, but one, the blonde girl doing somersaults and King Kong laughing because gorillas laugh. And when I used to wrestle Gurdjieff, I used to grab his bollocks. <laughs> absolutely true. And he <laughs> made him helpless. Anyway. What I want to say is this, because I'm, I'm, I'm fed up with all this sex stuff. I have had females come on at me. Now, these, working with female gorillas that I did in Canterbury and at, at, at Chessington at the time, there's about six of them. I sat with the gorillas because they love me. And they're very passive, the females, but they are dirty fuckers. And, <laughs> They empty your pockets. You must empty your pockets. Going there, they empty your pockets. They'll empty your pockets. They're very quick. And they're very passive. And then gradually their hands start to move towards your flies. And they start to unzip. And it's a universal language. Oh, 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 oh. A little knock on the nose. And then their hands come out again. And they start heading for your cock again. 
and you stop them like that because they are absolutely oversexed. Now, you think it with me. <laughs> Only with you or with you? But the thing is, and I, 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 please, I'm talking. No, sorry. I <laughs> so it is. I can't get a fucking word in edgeway. <laughs> interviewing me out of my fucking skull. So anyway, I'm with the fuck, I'm with, the fuck am I? The fucking, anyway, I'm with a gorilla. Now the thing is, I put an apology in one of my chapters in my book, and I apologize to the male gorilla. Because, I mean, they're all about 35 stone, in men's shoulders, and huge. But they're, Cocks are that big. <laughs> They're like little lipsticks. Now, I mean, Jasmine Morris mentioned this, the human penis, sorry girls, uh, uh, the men usually, they're about that long or that long. I have no one that long. <laughs> and they do get some, some, yeah, some fucking jaffers, you know, some, some fucking huge fucking penises. So the human male, in spite of his great brain he's got, I mean, he dangles down there. They've got, human beings, males, have, they have pretty big dongs. So anyway... Speak for I, yourself. I, I just, <laughs> I just, no, I'll just scratch for a moment. So I will say that, therefore, I, I don't understand why the gorillas are that big, and you can understand why the females adore me, can't you? <laughs> and th th that's my point. Does that answer? <laughs> It's good. It's Does good. that answer your question? <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I, I presume that the male gorillas have a fucking fantastic sperm count. <laughs> Huge. I think it's to do with uh, gorillas are very faithful, so the the, uh, the testicle size and penis size is smaller. It's something to do with that. Was I think human beings are. I did write a book about penises. Did you? Did you? Yeah, I can't quite remember what it is. I think that's right. I think gorillas are more faithful, so their genitals can be smaller. It's something like that. But I think it's about balls rather than penis size. But fuck, we'll see. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't sound like they are from you know, your experience. Anyway, I don't know. But anyway, I, I, certainly the Yeti does exist. I'm quite clear. <laughs> I'm quite clear. You went to search. You went, you went, well, I, there's another question I ask is, have you ever been in a canoe? Uh, but I've never asked, have you been in a canoe that's been paddled by an orangutan? I said, Guinness. I, 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 when I was down there in Malaysia, there was, I was in this canoe with this fucking great orangutan. You know, I've got these great fucking lips. And it, with an orangutan down there, and it was rowing us in the fucking canoe. And I'm saying, is this the right way? <laughs> the fucking lips and I was in this canoe being canoe bite is that the answer to your question yeah well it is it is a good answer it's a good answer to that question have you ever been in a canoe and they're dirty fuckers as well they'll fuck anything that moves <laughs> now the orangutan has a reasonable yeah <laughs> they do have pretty good cocks Is, your is, book, is Attenborough out there? He knows fuck your, all about animals! Is your book mainly about the cocks of animals that you've seen? Uh, there are moments in it, yes. The, pa <laughs> the panther in my kitchen? We'll make yes, a the panther in my kitchen, yes. Uh, yes. How, how was the panther's cock? Uh, a panther what? How was the panther's cock? Oh, uh, uh, rather large. Uh, <laughs> a, big, yes, a big yellow one. Yeah, you know, yes, yeah. yes. 
I don't think the sperm's yellow, but I think it's kind of a kind of blue a blue colour. Yeah. But again, but to never you think the sperm's a yes. <laughs> but ask me another question. I will do. Well, someone has answered the Bigfoot question by saying that they've seen your foot, and your foot's quite a Bigfoot because you've got a. Didn't you? Did you have an accident with your foot where your foot's flat? Wait, is that right? Where do you get this information? Well, I don't know. This is incredibly embarrassing. <laughs> you see, I think Marcus you know, Brigstock said he'd seen your foot. And oh, he's a total prick. <laughs> <laughs> that is by the by. If I, I'll chin the bastard. No. No, what was that? No, no. What we're talking about? I don't. No, I mean, when I was a little boy, and I was a lovely boy. In Yorkshire, son of a coal miner, and every week I'd go and see Flash Gordon. In, in black and white, in the cinema nearby, seven years, eight, eight years of age. And we did Dusties, which means daring. And of course, when I saw Flash Gordon, I, I always, we then represented the characters, and I always became Voltan. And I, you know, that I got wings like Voltan. I never dreamt that one day I'd actually play Voltan. And we'd jump off bridges, you know, where the Flying Scotsman were. And I jumped far too high of a bridge, and I had damaged my right foot. And it's always been shit ever since, you know. <laughs> but I mean, but it's a good weapon in judo. And, uh, <laughs> and it's got me on Mount Everest. But that's yeah. why my foot is like it is. I want to say while we're on Flash Gordon, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, what? Is this a cock? No, no. <laughs> okay. Let's not I go over. Say, I, I, I want to say that in Flash Gordon, the, I mean, eventually, of course, I did the film. And I think it's a wonderful film because it's a comic strip. It's got wonderful style, a lovely cast in it and everything else. Uh, and there's that marvellous moment when we invade rocket ship Ajax. Absolutely amazing. And it took ages that day to get the dynamite ready for days and get the special effects ready, get the dwarfs ready, the fucking monsters ready. And of course, when you see films of, of, of Superman, there's only two men flying or three men flying. In Batman, one man, two men, nothing. But in Flash Gordon, our film, you've got four and a half thousand people flying. It's amazing with their wings and me at the front. So it took ages to get it ready, get our wings together. I did have, of course, an extra wing uh, 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 wire. <laughs> I had an extra wire on my cock because, I mean, to hold me up because I'm being rather heavy down there. <laughs> I had all the fucking lines when I'm flying up there. You could end up with a falsetto voice. Oh, I, I didn't want. So I had an extra one on my bollocks. Anyway. <laughs> that sequence of me flying down, you know, everyone's getting ready. Then they gave me a bazooka. And of course, he's made of cardboard. You know, and he's giving me the bazooka and flashes alongside me. The, 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 of course, the terms I use are my RAF squadron when I was doing my national service. And there it is. So, stand by, Brian! Action! And I went, ah, oh, well, who wants to live forever? Squadron 40, dive! And down we came. <laughs> One for you. <laughs> and they said, cut, cut, cut. Brian, we put in the special effects. <laughs> I have never felt such a cunt in all my life. <laughs> Very good. I mean, uh, does that answer your question? Yes, it does. <laughs> there's, a lot, there's a lot to get through, Brian. Yes, uh, yes, there's, yes. A lot of, there's a lot of yes, things yes. we need to talk about. Yes, yes. Um, 
I want to talk to you about you delivering uh, a baby on a heath somewhere. There's uh, no end to my talents. There <laughs> in the 1960s, you delivered a baby? Oh, I just, my lungs fill up with air too many. I, I, I've got such big lungs that they fill up. I'm just belching for a second. It's okay. How much better? How much better? No, what was the question? I'm, I'm How are you delivering a baby? When I lived in Richmond, <laughs> I, I went into Richmond Park. I'm doing fancy Smith in Z cars. Oh, I was in Z cars between 1962 and 65. I was Fancy Smith, the tough guy. Though, I mean, everyone adored me, Jesus. I got 28 letters, 28,000 letters a week. We had an audience of 35 million. It's amazing, the women love God. I was so fucking sexy. <laughs> Jesus, as Fancy Smith, the birds were crazy. I loved myself. As I said, I look in the mirror and I fucking love myself. You know. Anyway, I, I digress. I said, I was in. <laughs> At uh, this time in 1962, 63, 63, I went in Richmond Park and there was a woman in distress. Oh, help me, help me, help me. And I raced across, no bugger around, of course. And, and, so, and she was having a baby. Well, of course, I'm a war baby myself. We were brought up you know, Probably Probert Avenue in Goldthorpe, Yorkshire. And we, we helped the doctors, because we were very few nurses. It wasn't like the midwives and all that. And we helped deliver babies as a little boy. You helped spread the legs and all this and that. So I spread her legs, uh, got her pants off, got her underwear off, and the head was coming out. I got her to breathe deeply, and I pulled out uh, the, the baby slowly. I took my shirt off and put the baby in the shirt and, and, and calmed her down. And then I bit the afterbirth off and tied it in a knot. <laughs> and then I pressed her belly to get rid of the clots. I knew about all these things, calmed her down, and then I shouted, <laughs> Shout because the fucking shout could have killed her. But. <laughs> Eventually they got an ambulance and they put her in, as an Italian girl, and I put her in the ambulance and, and I delivered the baby and off she went. And I've never heard from her since. <laughs> is, is that true? Absolutely. <laughs> it is. My it life, is true. I don't know why my life is full of all these things, but it always seems to happen to me. Well, listen, so, you've had incredible things happen. You, you met Pablo Picasso. Do you remember meeting Pablo Picasso? Uh, yes, it's a long story, ladies and gentlemen. It's not that I, long a story. Uh, when I, it's an insane story. Look, it's insane. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm the son of a coal miner in Goldthorpe. I was born in Mexborough, lived in Goldthorpe, Prophet Avenue, Flying Scotsman and all that. And the, the, I was a war baby. We had two pilots in, in our house, two Polish pilots who shot down Messerschmitts at Finningley Airport. They went to, it was oh, so exciting. And when the war ended, there was a great celebration in Woodsborough Park near Sheffield. Um, 350,000 people. And there was Zukov there, the great Russian general, and Patton, the great American general, all got together. No more war! We kind of believe that we got where we are at the moment, can you? Now a bit of warmongering going on in the world. There's going to be no more wars. We'd won the war. Those great celebrations, no, no more, no war, no more, no more, no more. They're all singing that. It was Mapak. And at the town centre, they had Paul Robeson. Paul Robeson was the great black, wonderful bass baritone. He was in Sanders of the River. He, he, he sang the famous canoe song. And he held at the town hall four or five thousand people, speechless. 
and he, and, and he had a great emotional content in the fact that I always feel, I tried to do it when I was in King Lear. He seemed to have emotions upon emotions upon emotions. My people, your people, kind of rasping, wonderful, boundless kind of wave of, of waves of emotion when he spoke. My people, your people, and peace. And he embraced. I embrace all the Russians, embrace the Americans. It was wonderful. And then right up there was Picasso. I, I, I'd rushed backstage because I got all Paul Robeson's letters, uh, uh, records, and I went into his little dressing room, and there I was because, you know, I was, I was always adventurous, and I was just, you know, just uh, nine years of age. Excuse me, with a great Yorkshire accent, Mr. Mr. Robeson, you didn't sing, I still suits me. And he said, well, young man, that's, that's a duet with my wife. <laughs> and, uh, do you know it? I said, well, yes, I do. So I sang it with him, you know. <clears throat> <laughs> <clears throat> Does she ever wash the dishes? Does she do the things I wish us? Do you do them? No, you won't. Will you do them? No, you won't. When it's raining, who's the fella? Takes up the whole umbrella. And he put, no matter what you say, ah, still suits me. I said, well, of course you do, of course you do. And he held me, Paul Robeson. <laughs> and then they said, Picasso? is up there painting. And I went up there, got in front of everybody, and there was Picasso alongside, and he was talking away to different people like this. I said, are you Picasso? Are you Picasso? With all the Yorkshire lads around me. Yes, I am, I am a Picasso. I said, you sound more like Carmen Miranda. I said, I said you're not Picasso. Said, if you're Picasso, draw me something. And he got his pen and he drew a dove of peace in 10 seconds. I looked at it, and it was shite. I said, this is not a dove, this is not a dove. This is not a dove, I'll draw you a dove. And he, and he said, well, it is the first time that I have a critic. <laughs> to the child, it means nothing. I'll draw you a dove. And I drew him a dove. <laughs> and I gave it, he accepted it, and I gave him his back. You can see the dove of peace. When you see it now, of course, to an adult, it's a hand like that, holding a dove. And of course, it's beatific. And I gave it back to him. <laughs> and my, you know, and it was in the, uh, it's in the gallery in Sheffield. You can see it. Uh, the dove of peace that Brian Blessed turned down. It's, <laughs> it's valued at 57 million. <laughs> My father wouldn't talk to me for a fortnight. <laughs> Any more questions? You're right. Was, that was very embarrassing. Was, I mean, the fucking. It was a longer story than I, I expected. I, 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 so I, 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 I was I expecting the, the duet Asian, in the middle the, of it. We've got, we've got plenty. <laughs> we've got plenty of time. You're a very good interviewer. I Thank like you. I'm very, very, I, <laughs> I, I fancy you myself. I'm taken, unfortunately, now, Brian. I waited a long time for you, but I've. I like this, I don't know, I haven't seen this story in many places, but when you were playing Fancy Smith in, in Zedcast, you, yes. you were in the BBC TV Centre, and as and, and people of my generation will remember the, scat, the statue of Helios in the centre that Roy Castle uh, tap-danced around. You, you, uh, you had you a, a story with... Yes, uh, it's, it's a bit embarrassing. <laughs> I was Fancy Smith, we had all that, we were the creme de la creme. You know, I mean, I, 
they, they loved it so much, the four boys in the car and the inspector and the sergeant. I mean, we just massive. We could do anything. It was wonderful. There was only BBC One uh, and ITV. Uh, that's all they were at the time. So I, yeah, I couldn't walk any. I was bigger than the Beatles. But I was this... <laughs> and everybody wanted to be in Z cars. I mean, you know, from Lawrence Olivia to James Mason, Kenneth Moore, Peter O'Toole, and all of them, they all wanted to be in Z cars. Uh, and Wendy Hiller, I did a two-hander with her virtually in Z cars. Absolutely. <laughs> Very marvelous. But anyway, we'd play cricket with the director general upstairs on the fourth floor, as you see it now. And in the middle was Helios, this great kind of pole, uh, uh, kind of cenotaph thing. And at the top was Helios, all naked and bronze, lovely, and so forth. Very, very high indeed above a, above a fountain. And I mean, uh, so the director general and Hugh Weldon and all of them, Hugh Carton Green said, Brian! You're a mountaineer, you climb mountains, you, you've climbed the Matterhorn and, and, and Mont Blanc. We want you to climb Helios. And this is 12 o'clock at night, and they're all pissed. The director, <laughs> what, what? I went there, they turned the fountain off, and I got on, I shimmied up, shimmied up, and shimmied up. I got to the top, and then Hugh Weldon shouted, Well done, well done, blessed, now take it out. And I took out this French letter, uh, this condom. <laughs> And I blew it up into a balloon with the end where the sperm goes in. And then I tied it onto the cock of Helios. And said, well done, blessed, said the director general, well done. Now I hope people look at the bloody thing. Because she was very proud of it. And then I came down and they turned the fucking fountain on and fucking drenched me. You couldn't do that today. Because oh, all the yuppies who live there will be furious. That's, what, that's, that's why. I met you once before, Brian, and in, in the 1990s, I'd say, at a party. I might have been in the early 2000s. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you told me you were training to go to Mars, not for a TV show that you were going to go to Mars. Have you been to Mars yet? Look, I have the piss taken out of me. <laughs> fucking fed up. You told me. I said, no, no. for a TV no, show. No. I said, no, I, I'm, I'm going to Mars. I'm training. No, You've been I, training. I, I, I'll ask the question. I won't, I won't shirk it. I won't fucking shirk it. Like a Dalek's cock. <laughs> anyway, look, anyway what, what was the question again? Are you oh, going to... Well, have you oh, been no, to Mars anyway, or are you going I, to Mars? I, 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 it was very funny. Um, years ago, um, <laughs> I, I, Kenneth Branagh and I... I don't know many actors... <laughs> We have a father-son relationship, Ken and I. Are you in the audience, Ken? Well, bollocks, it doesn't matter. We have. <laughs> we have a father-son relationship. I'm the son, he's the father. He's an old, he's an old cunt compared to me. And so I listen to all his ambitions, and he sits in my hut, and he looks at me, and I think I'm the only person who completely surprised and shock him all the time. And he then, when he's finished talking, he says... What are you doing next? I said, well, I'm going to Mars. He said, mm, yes. It's a, it's a little red dot in the sky. I said, well, no, I'm going to assimilate. Okay. You see, my biggest love in life is space. And as you're sitting here now, 
People say, well, you'd never get me, Brian, going into space. You'd never get me in a rocket ship. But you've got no choice. You're traveling at 57,000 miles per second as you sit here. And so it's a solar system, and so it's a Milky Way. So every time you wake up, you're in a, a different part of the universe. You're space travelers, and we're young. We are the children of stardust, yearning for the stars. It's in us. We're, we're only beginning. There's so much out there. It's amazing that you can get your laptops and press them, and then you can see all the continents on Titan, and you can see, uh, and, 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 and all the other moons on Titan. You know, it was astonishing that, um, uh, that we can now see all these continents on these moons and on these planets. There are mountains on Mars four times higher than Mount Everest, Olympus Mons, the size of Spain. I want to go there, I want to climb it, I want to be there. At the age of six, I was told, by our infant teacher, Mrs. Gummersall, that there were other worlds besides ours. I thought they were painted, the stars. No, 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 they're real. And Mars, oh, Mars, I painted Mars when I was six years of age, all red. I wanted to go there. So I saw things like Flash Gordon, and I saw things like Angry Red Planet, uh, you know, the man from Planet X, Journey into Space. Oh, oh, I yearned and yearned and yearned. And I said, NASA and the <laughs> Interplanetary Society the other day, I was heartbroken at seven because I couldn't go there and I'm still heartbroken. Get off your fucking asses! <laughs> and they, they were shocked with pride, but they loved me because of my passion, because of my love. Because I mean, I mean, Gollum Beck, the head, the head of NASA. And he sounds like Kermit, you know. He's one of the great brains in the world. Oh, right, it's wonderful. Mars is wonderful. It's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you can just grab the surface, Brian. It's all history. It's wonderful. <laughs> that is one of the greatest fucking brains in the fucking world. And Zubrin, who's doing Mars Direct, he's building sheds and things on Devon Island in the Arctic and, and training people for Mars. And I'm part of the Martian program. I inspire them. I, I wore Martian prototype suits, 27 million quid each. So I said to Ken, I'm gonna get four or five mountaineers, the best in the world. I'm gonna get NASA on board. I'm gonna get the Russians on board, the Chinese on board, macrobiologists, geologists, the lot. We'll go, we'll film in Russia, we'll train in Russia. I'll be trained completely as a cosmonaut. Total training. And I'll do the same. I said, and we'll go to Reunion Island in the Pacific. And we did massive tents, helicopters. I just, I write my own scripts. What I want to do, I will not be restricted. And we got there, and these suits that are made, are being made by the man who designed Predator. <laughs> yeah, uh, here's good. Kevin Hall, who is the Predator, seven foot four. And he was there, it was lovely. And they fitted these suits up. And we're wearing Martian prototype suits and training. Where this, this volcano is on, on Reunion Island. Uh, it's called Terror.
and it erupts a lot. And it's a plate volcano like you'll find on Mars. And we trained on there. And I was with Catherine Destevelle, the great woman climber who climbs in France, you know, uh, Yosemite, alone without a rope. And she's climbing with me. And she's with me. And we go, you know. And I'm with all these microbiologists and biologists. And I'm where, and there I am. And you wear these suits. And they have, they're very tight, almost as tight as this. And <laughs> the, like veins they have inside. And that, so you don't have to shit, and you don't have to pee. <laughs> it takes it out of your body. It's amazing. So I'm training with them all. And then one day I said, when we climbed a few cliffs, I said, they said to Gollumbeck, I said, Gollumbeck, I said, we're running out of oxygen. Now the oxygen cylinders are that big. And they go in there, and they go in there, and they go in there. They're very refined. So I said, you know, they're emptying. Well, Brian, uh, I said, Where, where's the oxygen? We're in our helmets and all that, about 15 of us. And he says, use your compass, Brian. I said, I can't use a compass. You're a mountaineer, been to Everest and all this, and you can't use a compass? I said, no. No, I said, but you have to understand, of course I can't use a compass. There are no magnetic fields on Mars. <laughs> and Gollenbeck and Zubrin and the whole of NASA said, God fucking damn it! <laughs> we've got a fucking guy here, we've got the best fucking brains, we've got NASA here, and we've got this cunt telling us <laughs> that there isn't a magnetic field on fucking Mars. Why didn't some fucking think of that? <laughs> Well, they love me. <laughs> I point out simple things to them. And so, I mean, so it was, it just, my relationship with NASA is wonderful. They're lovely, wonderful people. You, for Christ's sake. In the 50s, in the 50s and 60s, we had Blue Streak, Black Knight, and Black Arrow. I, it was a let I'm not criticizing the Labour Party, it just happened to be a Labour Party who cancelled it all. We were training at the Woomer Rocket Range in the 1950s. We led the, we, we, would, we were ahead of Werner von Braun, we'd have been on Mars! We cancelled it. Uh, the uh, European rocket, Ariadne, that's Blue Streak. Ah, oh, ah, oh, look here, youngsters, I can see what they're of all ages. You know, my religion is, is young people, and Christ. <laughs> we are brilliant young scientists all over the country, and they're out of fucking work. I used to talk to Pillinger before he died about this. Uh, you know, and, and it is, it's tragic, but at last, I'm working in Abingdon with Skylon, developing space planes for the moon and Mars, and we're coming back. We're coming back. And I'm part of that program. And it's incredibly exciting. And so we're going to get out there. Another thing I want to say is... Uh, hello. I don't want to think there's something that makes me fucking angry. And that's all this middle-aged crap. I'm sick of age. I'm sick of all this age thing. I mean, 40 is very young, it's not middle-aged. I think middle-aged is between 55 and 65, but it's not how old you are, it's how you are old. 
I mean, Christ, we're nothing now with the pills we're going to get and with the vitamins we're going to get. We can go on and on and on. I also, when I'm on Everest and all these other mountains and things and dangerous things I've done, I do not believe in death. Death right up your ass. <laughs> As a great poet John Donne said, death, thou shalt die. You've always been alive. Darling, you're a young woman, young, young man, young woman, young. I mean, say you've been alive 25 years, whatever your age is. You know, you've been alive 25 years, but when were you dead? You've never been dead. You've always been alive. You haven't arrived at what you are now in 25 years. It's taken eons. Exploration. I find now in astronomy, mountaineering, all the other sciences, what I say is that uh, exploration is not a discovery. Zobrin's talking about it at the moment. It's sending me a treatise on it. It is a remembrance. A discovery is limited. But remembering, as T.S. Eliot says, we shall not cease from exploration. And the end of our exploring will be to arrive at the place where we started and know it for the first time. So it's all there. It's out there. And we're going to make it. I'll stop for the moment. <laughs> yeah. still, we're still going. We're still going. Uh, I'll ask you this question then. <laughs> Have you ever seen a ghost, Brian Bless? <laughs> I don't know. I've had strange experiences in this rediscovery. Yeah, me too. (laughs) I better stand up. In my varied and wonderful life, and I've always been very modest, I've met remarkable, you know, I've always been helped. I'm therefore son of a coal miner in a C class. at secondary school, Patrick Stewart and I. Uh, Patrick Stewart uh, of Jean-Luc Picard's Star Trek. Uh, he, he was bald when he was 12. <laughs> and, Don't worry, Patrick, you'll be all right, you'll be all right. And then I realized the whole family were fucking bald. So. <laughs> but Patrick would follow me everywhere. I'm always two or three years older than Patrick. And I took him everywhere. We went on drama courses, we went here, there, and everywhere. Uh, but he was the son of a milkman, and I was the son of a coal hewer, the hardest work in a coal mine, 18 tons. And the weekend, my dad, who was heroic to me, played for Yorkshire, opening fast bowler. Amazing. It was absolutely kind of adorable. But uh, anyway, what were going to say? Ah, uh, I've waylaid myself. Uh, Patrick, <laughs> I mean, anyway. We had nothing. We had no qualifications. And Patrick and I loved the amateur theatre. We, we went on summer drama courses in Yorkshire, uh, in the Calder Valley, 
magical valley, magical place, magical professional teachers. We never dreamt of being professional teachers. We're 11 and 12 and 13 years of age. And we come back from that and then our teachers, you see, we all need help. You do so much on your own, you can do so much, but then you need teachers, you need people to help you. People of taste and knowledge, we all need help. We're a team. And, and anyway, Patrick and I, I remember, we went, we went to Sheffield to the Lyceum. And we'd heard, we'd never seen a professional actor. And we had heard of Donald Wolfert. Now, I don't want to bore the ass off you. Who is Donald Wolfert? <laughs> Wolfert was my physique. Uh, he was kind of broader than he was long. And <laughs> he was the greatest King Lear of all time. Because I played Lear recently. And he was a great King Lear. And Harold Pinter said I, you know, he took up acting and took up writing and everything, because he saw Wolfert as King Lear. And we got there, uh, and we saw, Patrick and I saw his, his King Lear, which, you know, mesmerized me, what he did. Of course, he's a tremendous big head. <laughs> and that week he'd, he'd done Ham, he'd done uh, Shylock and uh, Iago and Othello uh, and Richard III, Richard II, you name it, he'd done it. And he was holding on to the curtain in front of Patrick and I. Uh, we were mesmerized and he said, uh, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, next week, I shall be presenting my Hamlet. And my good wife will be playing Ophelia. And a man from the back said, your wife's a bloody whore. <laughs> and Wolfert replied, nevertheless. <laughs> you couldn't face Wolfert. Now, I'll give you one more story about all this. I have always taken the piss out of great actors. I love it. I was at the National Theatre, which is a bit like fucking Colditz. And they couldn't persuade me to stay there. And I was playing Gorky in State of Revolution. And I was at Littleton, walking up and down the corridors with 50 kind of Russian uh, sailors, actors playing the part. And next door, uh, the Olivier, was Sir John Gielgud. Now, all you youngsters don't know, you've heard about Wolford. And Gielgud had a lovely voice. Marvellous, lovely voice. The great Sir John. Oh, Sir John Gielgud. <laughs> And he was on a little turn in Volpone, and he got feathers on his head, looked very lovely. And he used to pass me in the corridor, and I used to grab his ass. <laughs> Give me your ass, come here, come here, Sir John. Come, I'll grab your ass. Come on, great action. Oh, do leave me alone, Brian. Leave me alone. Brian, leave me alone. Stop it, stop it, stop it. <laughs> So Peter all said to me, Brian, you know, we all love you, Brian, we do love you, but you're terrifying, Sir John. <laughs> <laughs> he says you bruised his buttocks. <laughs> so I left, I, I, I took a rest, I didn't bother. <clears throat> he came into his dressing room one night, you know, and he opened up his cupboard, and I was inside it. <laughs> He said to people later on, he said, he said to Michael Bryant, you know, that, 
you know, that Brian, blessed, he's a terrible man, but he's a lovely bit of rough. So, I'll do one more theatrical story of a giant of it. At the Royal Shakespeare Company, there was a director there called Robert Atkins. All actors, when they feign Victorian acting, do Robert Atkins a little bit of that. Oh dear, a bit of really cod, hammy acting. And he began Regent's Park. And he was 10 years at the Royal Shakespeare Company putting on marvelous productions. Robert Atkins and my physique again. And anyway, the bastards, because they are fucking shits at times. <laughs> uh, anyway, imagine. <laughs> they. They said to him, you know, you've done very well here, but we want some new blood in, some new minds. And therefore, we, we have to give you your notice in three weeks' time. Terribly sharp, the whole thing is well known. It's just that on the last night, we'd love you to make a speech, if that's all right. Uh, at the time, I have to mention that uh, the Royal Shakespeare Company was sponsored by Flowers Ale. So, would you make a speech? Of course, I will. On the last night, I'll make a speech. I'll make a speech. I'll make a speech. And on the last night, the curtain came down, and then it went up, and he stepped forward and said, <clears throat> "I've only got one thing to say: Flowers Ale is piss." <laughs> and the, that was it. Curtain a speech. <laughs> At the time, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I think. Did you say something? <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Anyway, yes. uh, and so, I have to say that when I went, uh, you, the, the, the miracle happened for Patrick and me. We were in the amateur theatre. I did my national service, and then Patrick and I applied for a scholarship. I mean, we could only fill in the date. And our signatures, because we had no, uh, we had no qualifications, uh, no, you know, no certificates at all of qualification, educational certificates, uh, nothing. And they, they said, don't mind, lads, you both connect. We're giving you a scholarship, because this working class boys, it was a miracle. And oh, we're going to go to the Bristol Olympic Theatre School. We, we wanted to go there because we knew the teachers there. And so you had, you had the Bristol Vic Theatre School, you had the Downs, you had Suspension Bridge, you had the University for the academic side, and the Bristol Vic Company with people like Petro too, and, and Schofield appearing in the company. I arrived there, oh, so excited. And you weren't allowed to mix with the Bristol Vic Theatre Company. They were brilliant. O'Toole's Hamlet was his best performance ever. Oh, black hair. Black beard he had then, big nose. Oh, he did all kinds of things. He'd jump off the stage and sit with the audience and say, are you enjoying it? This next bit's lovely. He was so wonderful, <laughs> outrageous. But we couldn't mix. I ran at the university out doing House of Regrets, being, playing an old admiral. And uh, when it was finished, Peter O'Toole rushed backstage and said, hello, I said. It's Brian, isn't it? It's Brian Blessed. Yes, I'm Peter. I'm Peter O'Toole. I've watched you. You know, you always start from strength. I start from fragility. But tonight you were fragile. It was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. 
National Service? Yes, yeah, yes, parachute regiment. <laughs> Out in the Navy. The paras were bastards, weren't they? I said, no, we weren't. Ah, I don't like parachutists. <laughs> I was Yorkshire schoolboy boxing champion. Uh, they almost persuaded me to be trained to be a British light heavyweight. ABA, you want it now? What do you, what, what do you want? What do you want, O2? Uh, <laughs> it's all right. So we became contentious, and all the time we competed. And one time, Peter and I, we ran all the way from Lee Woods across the suspension bridge into Clifton at three o'clock in the morning. And there were two professors, Professor Josephs and Professor Murray. And they'd been to see Sir John Gielgud in the seven ages of man. And they were crying their eyes out. Oh, he was wonderful. He had such a phenomenal grasp of the verse. You two boys, you must go and see him. You must go and see him. And they were crying their eyes out. And then they walked away. And O'Toole looked at me and said, it's, uh, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, they're so enamored with Sir John Gielgud, they fail to realize that you and I are both bollock naked. <laughs> what was the question? So you can answer, you can, you can ask the questions. I, 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 I must say, just something for a second. Just, just for a second, and you're being very understanding. No, it's, it's very enjoyable. I Brian. want to say this for now that, of course, 50% of my life is exploration, 50% acting, and so forth. Uh, and uh, Richard Bryan said to me, Brian, Brian. <laughs> You never praise actors. You praise explorers and Mallory and, and Scott and Shackleton. But you never, you never say these days a good word about us. So I'd like to say categorically now, as, as you can hear me, Richard, that I think that acting, bear with me on this, is the hardest of all arts. I say this because I've been trained operatically. And you can say, if you're singing, oh, I've got a bit of a bad throat, a bit stiff. In, in ballet, you can say, well, I've got a bit of a ligament problem. I, I don't quite, I'm a bit stiff tonight. But in acting, your body, your face, your eyes, your nose, your voice, your imagination, your heart, your soul, 90% of the time is shot down. And you've got to have the courage to continue. And that is immense courage that you have to apply. But, as Hamlet says, acting is holding up the mirror up to nature, up to life. But of course, climbing Mount Everest is life. And I found there is a big difference. But I love both. Leading on to Everest just for a short bit, <laughs> I went there three times, <laughs> broke all kinds of records, we made Galhad of Everest, won that lovely award I told you about. And we, I went there three times, broke all the world records, uh, old age, uh, 28,600 feet without oxygen, as there is no end to my talents. <laughs> and so I fulfilled those wonderful dreams. Been to the North Pole, I've been to the Lost World, I've been in Mongolia, climbed a mountain there with a wolf. 
because they have wolves and they don't, they have wolves and they don't have dogs. Yes, it's fucking true. <laughs> Where the fuck was I? No, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> anyway, so there, I'm about Everest. Anyway, I was on, not the nine o'clock news. And I thought, because actors love, actors have got to be actors. You know, when I'm Galahad of Everest, I suddenly was on a camera and I had to be me. I couldn't act. And I got to like me, I got to love me. You know, so I got to know who I really was. And when it comes to climbing mountains, everybody wants to know about toilets. And I was on the program. The, the Queen saw it as well. She, she washed it after the watershed, whatever it is, and so forth. And we were on the southern side of Everest. We had a pretty rough time in the monsoon conditions. And we got up to 26,000 feet. Now, at that from, you have a change at 5,000 feet, a change at 10, a change at 15, uh, the height of Mont Blanc, at 22,000 feet, you have 14 days to live and you die. Die of lack of atmospheric pressure, gamma rays, cosmic rays. At 25,000 feet, you've got four days to live and you die for the same reason. Lack of atmospheric pressure, etc. At 28,000 feet, you've got one day. We were at 26,000 feet. There's me, David Empleman Adams, Graham Hoyland, and Doji. And four of us on the Lhotse face. There's Lhotse and there's Everest. They're joined. And it's a four-mile drop. Tear you to pieces if you fall down there. 387 dead bodies down there. Tear you to pieces. And four of us in a two-man tent. And I'm the only fucker whose brain's working. Because it doesn't bother my brain. You can see I'm sane, can't you? It, <laughs> it doesn't bother my brain. And we're in the fucking tent. And suddenly, and there's a storm going on. We're going to go for the summit in two hours' time. There's a storm going on, and suddenly, Hempelman and Adam, because you see, you talk to Bonington and all these people, and they're asked about toilets on Everest, and they say, well, we had a good, we had our private dunny, we behaved very well, we took our paper and things like that. Absolute bollocks. <laughs> Mountaineers are dirty, filthy bastards. <laughs> There's an old saying, mountaineers have furry ears and pee through leather britches. They wipe their ass on broken glass, those hardy sons of bitches. <laughs> They're dirty fuckers. <laughs> I have to say, if you do go to Everest, always make sure you camp above the French. <laughs> Turks at two o'clock, fuck hell! Pull your pants on, you dirty fuckers. Anyway. At 26,000 feet, there we are. And suddenly, Hemelman Adams says, I've got to have a shit. I said, you can't have a shit. You can't have a fucking shit. You can't move. None of you can move. You listen to me. And the wind's blowing. And we've got two carabiners holding the bloody tent. Of, of four of us in a two-man tent. I said, shit yourself. Just shit yourself. It, it'll be sawdust in about two hours' time. Because it does at altitude. Your shit goes to powder. Oh, my God, I'm a gentleman. Oh, Christ, Christ. Does she get hold of him? We got his body across, slowly got him across, get him across. Pass me across. Fuck it now. Careful, the fucking tent's coming down. Unzip, snow coming in. There's a rope out there. Time off, time off. Tie off. 
Think of your mother, think of your children, think of your wife, you can't. <laughs> it goes out there and has a shit. Eventually, it comes back, we unzip, there's snow pouring in. Oh, oh, come here, easy, 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 easy. We get him in the corner. Oh. So I said, well, look, we might as well have a brew. We're going to go for the summit in two hours' time. And then after a while, Graham Hoyland said, there's a terrible smell of shit. <laughs> and I turned round, and there was a turd on Emperor Adam's shoulder. <laughs> what it happened was, he, he'd had a shit, and the turd had gone up in the air, and there was a lull in the wind, and it landed on his shoulder. <laughs> and that is the glamour of Mount Everest. <laughs> so, when you want me to win. So, uh, so you haven't seen a ghost then? <laughs> being fucking upstaged. <laughs> what was I going to say? You give me a bit of time. The ghost, I'll just quickly say the ghost. When I train with these wonderful teachers in Hoyland and the Yorkshire Vales, no, I did meet a ghost. I won't talk about it. No, fuck it. There we go. Okay, you want another question? Uh, we, we can say, we'll end in a second. Sit down. Sit down, yes. Sit down. So you're on tour. Lucia mentioned you're on tour. I've seen you in the same theatres as me. You've got your book out, which we must mention again, Brian Blessed the Panther in My Kitchen. It's fantastic. It is. Lots, lots of... You used to work as a, uh, a plasterer, is that right? Yes, you're a plasterer. You can always tell a plasterer they have very supple wrists. I can mix that way, mix that way. So when I was in The Three Musketeers, because I believe all actors should wear defence well, I did uh, Epee, Sword and Sabre in the RAF and at drama school and won the uh, uh, Gloucester Foil Championship. Mm. So I've always fancied, I did the Three Musketeers as Portos after Fancy Smith. It was a big change being flamboyant as Portos. Very, very flamboyant with a moustache and all that. And Jeremy Brett was a wonderful D'Artagnan. And so the BBC looked after me. I said, we need help. They put me in the Three Musketeers, they put me in I, Claudius, uh, and, and all that kind Absolutely. of thing. It was one of the first things I, I, I remember, one of the first programs I remember really getting into as a kid. And you're, you're Caesar Augustus in, in that. Yes. You, know, awesome. you are, it has to be said, Brian, a fantastic actor. I do want to say that before we end. You're well, absolutely you? <laughs> superb. <laughs> they, they are very kind. They, of course, uh, when we'd done five episodes, suddenly Herbie Wise, um, I, 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 <laughs> I'd been in, when I was in Zed Cars, we had, we had the best writers, we had all the best writers in it. 
as I said, everybody wanted to be in it. <laughs> and the greatest director was Herbert Wise, who did direct I, Claudius. Now, Herbie Wise was terrifying, a small man, but Stratford Johns was our inspector and quite a big star uh, and so forth. Uh, uh, in rehearsals one day, and he was a minute late. And we could dictate anything, we were so popular. But not with Herbie Wise. And Herbie just looked at his watch and said, you're one minute late. Do you hear what I just said? Well, I've been doing publicity, said Stratford. You don't ever, ever, ever come to my rehearsals late. And he scared the shit out. Stratford was, took some doing. Anyway, I have found times, and you may find it too, when I've wanted to say bollocks to everything <laughs> and go for a walk, a walkabout, that I need to be on my own, that I, need, I love silence, I love to meditate. <laughs> and I love silence, to be on my own. And we're rehearsing with Herbie. I got a big, that episode, I had a huge part as Fancy Smith. And I didn't turn up. I wasn't a minute late. I didn't turn up. And Herbie went ballistic. He says, that fucking, that big-headed cunt, that fucking shit, I'll get him sacked and sacked and sacked and sacked. And I'll I'll give me the director general. Give me Norman Rutherford. Give me the head of programs. I'll get that fucker sacked. I'll sack him, I'll sack him, I'll sack him. And I'll get back in, I'll skin the bastard. <laughs> and they said, please, it's Fancy Smith. I don't think you can. I will. He will never, ever play Fancy Smith again. He's out. I don't like his character. He's too strong. He's too tough. I don't like him. I can't stand the man. And they said, well, when Brian comes in, we do promise. You won't say a word. What? I'll skin him. Anyway, after about seven hours, <laughs> I came in. And there was Herbie. And I just shouted, Herbie, my mother's dead. <laughs> She's had a heart attack. She's in hospital. I've been up and down the fucking M1. And my dad is in shock. He's in Leeds Infirmary through fucking shock. I've been to Leeds Infirmary, Doncaster Infirmary. They're both fucking dying. And I cried my eyes out. And Herbie Wise went. And Frank Windsor said to him, we told you you weren't going to say anything. <laughs> right. Let's start rehearsals. I'm so sorry, Brian. And I was, anyway, they said to me that, because I'll, I'll use a chair for this. Uh, they said to me months later, they were doing I Claudius with all the creme de la creme. And uh, this, my agent said, Herbie Wise wants you to play Augustus Caesar. What? Herbie Wise? He hates me. He can't stand me. Anyway, he wants to see you. And so anyway, I said, it should be Paul Schofield. It should be Alec Guinness, not me. And I went along and he cast me. He didn't say anything. He had cast me as Augustus Caesar. There was a big press meeting. John Hurt, Derek Jacobi, me, Baker, Sean Phillips, Patrick Stewart, everybody was there. And the press said, wonderful casting, but we can't understand why, why have you cast Brian Blessed as Augustus Caesar? And he said, because no one can shoot shit like he can. 
And that's exactly, of course, what Augustus does. He talks shite. <laughs> like most of our politicians talk shite. And he gets away with things. You know, so he's thinking, aren't you looking lovely today? Oh, you're, are you leaving us today? Are you going to the port to go to Greece? Oh, I'll help you on your way and have your fucking throat slit on the way. You know, so this can it work. Yes, I'm picking on you. You're the fuck that <laughs> And so it was very mafia. And so, you know, it's extraordinary. But Herbie eventually said to me one day, he said, and they're all sad because they're having a wonderful time and I'm making everybody laugh as Augustus. You're going to die in this one. We're all dreading it, Brian, because you're now 85, 86, and you're dying. And I want to see Rome die on your face. Sean has 10 pages of dialogue, but I'm not going to see her. It's just the camera's going to be on your face. And you start dead. You die as the camera's on your face. And I want it on your face for high five and a half minutes. I said, Herbie, it can't be done. It, it, it can't be done. If you see people in films when they're dying, you count. It's three seconds, seven seconds. Free frame. We're not. We're having a curtain blowing behind you, so it's no cheat. Five and a half minutes. Just say action. <clears throat> I won't go on for five minutes. <laughs> and it got headlines in the papers. Because, of course, in the end, there's, there's no one quite like me. Anyway. <laughs> that is very true. That's very true. I think, I think uh, it's everything I ever dreamt that this would be. Uh, and there was so much more to talk to you about. Yes, indeed. But, uh, what? What? We have, we, what is it? He wants you to keep going, I think. But. Keep going! <laughs> I'll tell you what, of course, I'll tell you... I'll tell you what, holy, it's all right. I understand that he has got to get through other people in this. <laughs> I was going to say is... Um, uh, damn, I was going to say uh, that... Uh, uh, Branner's always fascinated because I, I, I fear nothing. I don't fear death because death doesn't exist. Fuck off. I fear nothing. I've got mountains, and I've got this, and I've got that, and volcanoes. I have no fear whatsoever. When we made Galahad of Everest, everybody was in the film. Mountaineers of the best order, the Dalai Lama was in it. Uh, all these kind of wonderful people were in it, uh, as I followed in Maori's footsteps. But the BBC said, well, everybody's in it, Bonington, everybody. They're all thrilled to bits. It's going to win everything, which it did. Uh, but we want you to meet Rhino Mesner. And I, what? And I wasn't scared. I, I felt shy. I said, it climbed the Eiger North Wall in three quarters of an hour. I mean, he ran all the way back to the South Pole, uh, Scott's expedition, there and back as a fucking holiday. <laughs> He's the first man to climb all 14 8,000 meter climbs. Climbs over 26,000 feet without oxygen. The climbing world bowed to a metal. Lived in a castle. Didn't meet anybody. Oh, Christ. 
I'm a greenhorn. I mean, this is not the ideal figure for going up mountains. You know what I mean, sir? No, yes. <laughs> so it was. They said, Brian, they approached Mesler. We, they explained, they said, an actor. I don't want to meet an actor. I said, well, look, he's, he's a servant to the whole project. You know, it's, it's not about egos. He's telling the story. He's being a servant. One minute. I'll give him one minute. Oh, shit. So he went to his castle. He has a castle. And there was a castle. And the BBC were all over his garden. And I was really fucking embarrassed, you know. Oh. And then he thank, thank God he wasn't there. And then suddenly a car, <laughs> a car came up. And this car came up. And this man got out of it in ringlets. He'd just come from the South Pole. And we put drums on it. Vum, vum. Vum, vum. Vum, vum. And it's Mesner. And I shouted, Rhino's here! <laughs> and he turned around, he looked at me, he strode across, he took me by the shoulders, he looked into my face and said, you can stay all day, you're as fucking mad as I am. <laughs> and we did. Now, I'm just going to say now, to bring it to a conclusion, <laughs> I'm going to miss you all. And... Eventually, it happened again a few years ago. Would I be Pavarotti? <laughs> what? Because here's Brian was not frightened of anything. And, and so Ken Brown, I said, fucking scared. Well, I'm not fucking scared. I said, but when I was in Cats, because I was in Cats, when, <laughs> when I was in Cats, I met Placida Domingo and, and, and Carreras. And I said, you call him maestro, and you kneel to him, and, and you bow to Pavarotti. And he said, yes, I do, I do, because I, my voice has a lot of fruit in it. I have difficulty with certain projections. Carreras here has a cloudy voice. But Luciano, he is the maestro. His voice is perfect. It has great clarity and gold. That's why, again. Anyway, they offered, not for me, for charity, 100,000, 150,000, 200,000, 250,000, 350,000 quid, you know, for born free and other charities for animals and this, that, and the other. So I said, yes. Oh, shit. Anyway, on that night, I stepped through the mist, and the makeup was wonderful. I mean, the black on my hair and the padding, and I stepped forward, and I looked through the mist, I thought, fucking hell, Pavarotti's here. And then I'm over, Christ, it's me. <laughs> and the audience cheered and cheered and cheered. And then they stopped. And they thought, well, it looks like Pavarotti, but he'll never sound like him. I would need a piano. And I've been shouting a bit.
Squared Theatre Podcast with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Brian Blessed. Come on, how long did that take? Uh, <laughs> to get him on, I mean, and probably the podcast, we haven't recorded it yet. Uh, the music you're listening to is by Pest. Thank you to Chris Evans, not that one, and all of his Welsh family. There's so many children there now, it's impossible to know. He's a little Cardiff Lothario. Thank you to everyone at the British Company Guide. Thank you to everyone at the Leicester Square Theatre. I'm deaf to my producer, Ben Walker. This is GoFasterStrike.com. Fuzz and Sky Potato Production. I wasn't that good. Come on. Come on.